Welcome back to another episode of the Jordan Checker Podcast, where I'm joined by Sam Ackland. Sam founded and scaled Build Clean, a commercial cleaning service to over 100 staff nationwide in Australia, and is now the founder of Alpha Tradey, where he mentors and scales trade businesses with currently over $30 million in annualized revenue under management. Sam is also a father and has been awarded many awards, some of those being the Construction Trade Service of the Year in 2023 and the 2020 Top 40 Under 40 Entrepreneur Award just to list a few. In today's episode with Sam, we're going to cover a wide variety of topics. This will range from masculinity, toxic masculinity, building and scaling businesses, key aspects and attributes that all leaders should obtain, how your values will change when you become a father, the importance of taking care of yourself both mentally and physically as a business owner, but understanding that ice baths, training in the gym four hours a day, and sitting in front of a red light after you went for your sauna in the morning is not the reason why you're going to be successful in business because of the work has to be done. Other topics we'll get into is tall poppy syndrome, how social media and the algorithms are fueling you to believe the world is a different place than it actually is, and much, much more. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening or watching on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Now, whether you're sitting on the couch, driving your car, or in the gym, enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining me, Sam. So I'll dive straight in with a, what's your ideal life? My ideal life. Mm. I believe I'm living my ideal life now. I've spent the past two years uh, thinking consciously about it, about the work that I enjoy doing, what I get fulfillment out of. Um, a lot of what I focus on is my uh, deliverable work as uh, compartmentalized into one um, area of my life. The other two kind of area or pillars are like the family love component um, and then the adventure health um, and kind of me as a person uh, or me as a physical being. So I kind of compartmentalize them into three areas mm. of uh, my work, my adventure, uh, and my love, um, or, you know, love and family. Uh, yeah. And I've spent a lot of time trying to work out what percentages essentially of my life I, I require to optimize best um, in each of those areas. For example, like uh, if I was to spend uh, 12 hours at home with the family um, every day, then I would have a significant unfulfillment in my ability to deliver in work mm. and my ability to look after myself. So my ideal, um, my ideal life uh, comes down to, um, I think it's like a Tim Ferriss phrase of like crushing a Tuesday. Yep. Um, I'm very big on trying to make one day good and then replicating that good day by way of uh, have a good eight hours worth of work, make at least one to two hours to work out in some physical sense, get a certain amount of steps, a certain amount of sleep, a certain amount of time with the family. Um, that's what my mm. ideal life looks like. So how has that changed? So now obviously uh, two kids, mm -hmm. um, how has that changed pre-kids, post-kids? How has that changed from Sam when he was in Byron Bay, um, very young, your your mental like your your mindset around the life you thought you wanted now living the life that like how different is that from the life you yeah I think have. Uh, I think there's a few milestones or there's a few changes um, that happen particularly around value shifts throughout stages of life and I'm being very general from my own experience I believe that uh, in your twenties and we just call that the pre kids phase. Uh, it's more about tangible material deliverables. It's how big can I get? What are my revenue marks? What do I take home income? Uh, buying houses, investing, um, diversifying portfolios, all of that kind of um, big uh, you know, social media buzzword mm. phrases uh, all come into play because you're very um, self-orientated. Whether it's a good or a bad thing, you're still nonetheless very self-orientated because you don't have dependents um, mm. and other people to care for. 
Then you migrate to kind of your 30s where you generally have a value change when you do have children or you're expecting children. Um, and that's where your uh, materialistic goals per se kind of change into more um, experience outcomes as in instead of wanting to build a $100 million company, it's more I would prefer to have at least two hours available per day to spend with my children. My children don't care how much money I earn. Mm. However, there are some fundamental things I'd like to provide for my children, like private schooling, um, not having financial crisis within the um, within the parents, you know, the, the mum and dad of the relationship. Um, and I haven't got to the next stage yet when I believe the kids go to school and then both parents decide to uh, really work on um, what their impact is or, you know, what they want their future uh, life to look like. Yeah. So where do you think the, I mean, the money, money term is going to get thrown around a lot where money doesn't make you happy, whatever, whatever, yada, yada. Yes and no. Um, where do you think that maybe that line is where that tips over for money no longer provides happiness because to some extent money will provide solutions to a lot of your problems, which makes life a bit easier like if your car breaks down and you're like fuck i've got no money or you know you can't afford to buy your kids clothes or send them to the nice school live in the nice neighborhoods what's a is there a figure a rough figure or a you know a business lifestyle sort of thing that gets you to that stage where now yeah there's probably not a huge increase in what money's actually going to do for you as well it's an interesting one it's very it's very specific it's very specific to the person. I've got a lot of friends who would prefer to have as much time and flexibility as they like with a certain base amount of income, you know, around uh, most guys I see and most people I talk to, when you get to about the 100K um, PAYG salary, that tends to be enough for one person to kind of move about the world freely, be able to travel like once a year, mm. um, to be able to afford to, you know, fix the car when it breaks down, have the medical emergency with a bit of cash surplus. Uh, everything beyond that um, really depends on the person and what they actually want to achieve. So, you know, you might get a nice house in a nice area. Um, you're happy sending your children to the local school. You've got plenty of time. You might like, you know, doing other activities, surfing or camping or doing whatever it is where your salary range just for, you know, a relatable figure can be anywhere from 100 to 200K. Most jobs, um, whether you're self-employed, whether you have your own business uh, or you're working for someone else, you're really not going to exceed the 200K mark. I mm. think a lot of people, um, may, and myself included, I didn't really understand that. I thought that it was going to exceed exponentially. Um, most people get to the upper uh, hundreds, you know, or the upper hundred, close to the 200, um, and you crack into the highest tax bracket over 180. So generally, guys and girls are going to sit between that 180 to 250 or 240 um, and not take home more income than that. So that's mm. like a good framework to understand that uh, a lot of the younger guys who are like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make a million bucks a year and I'm going to be Andrew Tate and rah, rah, rah and buy all these cars and everything. Uh, your better tax advisory mind or whoever your tax advisor will be will no doubt keep your income around the you know mm. 200 mark. Um, so it's good to manage your own expectations yeah. there. Uh, whether extra money makes you, well, if, if there's an, a direct correlation between an increase in take-home income and an increase in happiness, only if you're aware enough to understand that uh, their money is not a direct reflection of who you are, as in a lot of people that I know, um, myself included, try really hard to understand what our output is, um, which has a 
uh, dollar figure attached to it, yeah. which is a scoreboard essentially. So um, I often look at my own profit and loss as a scoreboard, not as I want to take home quarter of a million dollars a year plus profits and everything else. It's more of that is a quantifiable measure of my output of time whilst I'm at work. So yeah. I think once you do crack over that, you know, 100, 150 mark to 200 mark um, of annualized take-home income, you start to shy away or move away from this is me, 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 this is my money into this is my scoreboard, this is only a part of me. I mm. also like to look after myself and my health and my longevity and my family and everything yeah. else. So, so you start to then, let's say someone's doing $150,000 a year, job or no job. If you're If you're in your own business, you start to look at maybe ways that you can bring back some of your own time, go on maybe if, if holidays are a priority to you, go on more holidays, if spending more time with the family, how you can free up more time and delegate a little bit more rather than how you can earn more and understanding that that'll probably come with it as well. If you're in your own business, that's going to imply growth because you're expanding the team and if you're doing it properly, that's going to happen. But if you're in a job, understanding that if you want more growth beyond that, it's probably still just dashing into your time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's... um. It becomes a trade-off between cost versus delegation versus uh, future return. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah. how do you then, as someone that has delegated, um, you've, you know, you build up, build clean um, to over a hundred staff nationally. How did you go breaking that ego barrier to, to expand and to bring people on and to accept that you're not in, in first-hand control of everything within a business now anymore? The, the one word you raised there, the ego part, gets thrown around so much at the moment. Um, everybody thinks they're a, a psychologist without training. Mm. Um, I do think it's super important for young guys like ourselves and, and most of the listeners uh, who are young men that there is nothing wrong with having an ego and using your ego to drive you forward. I'm using that term openly, your intrinsic motivation mm. to want to do more and be more and achieve things. That's phenomenal for that period of time it's when you start to get to you know the let's just say for whole figures like multi-million dollar net worth and you're still driven by the egotistical um materialistic items which are a direct which you see as a direct correlation of how good you are i think that's where that term ego becomes a little bit dangerous mm. but i do think it's very important for the early days to have a undeniable proof in your own mind that you can achieve what you think you're going to achieve because most of us our dreams are a lot bigger than our current reality and that's where the ego bridges the gap between yeah. so i think you need to be uh, egotistical within a sense or let it let it flourish let it run free in order to get you where um get you on the run rate of where you would like to be yeah um, but be cautious that uh, it is not your entirety so you got to be ego is good when you're in control of it. It reminds me a little bit of um, I don't know if you're a fan of Jordan Peterson or I absolutely love him, um, but his quote like it's it's okay to be a monster. It's just you got to learn how to control that. And I think as a young man, 23, I'm like that is very powerful to hear because it's understanding. Like, I've got all this fire in my belly. I've got all this I don't know whatever you call it energy that you want to give out. You want to do things. You want to challenge. You want to take not take people on in a physical way, but like kind of break down maybe ways people have been doing things because they can be done better. But it's also understanding that control it and put it into the right use case, which is 
like you're saying with ego, it's okay to have it. You just need to know how to control it and use it properly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Harness it and put it into the right areas. I think great example, um, which is very easy to see at the moment um, in some industry spaces. And you'll know what I'm talking about when I say you see a young guy in his twenties who makes his first uh, amount of money, buys a Lamborghini straight away. Yeah. I think it would be a much better way to harness your ego of using it to achieve the cash amount. And instead of purchasing the Lamborghini, perhaps uh, take the path of delayed gratification and reinvest that money either in your company and delegation and growing the team or in some kind of portfolio matter, whatever your um, investment skill is as opposed to buying a supercar, which you cannot get insurance for because you've mowed out under 25, um, and running the risk of slamming that 700 to $1 million vehicle yeah. into the wall. How many of those do you reckon actually bought the car anyway? None. <laughs> so We're talking figuratively. Yeah, but so I'd, I'd hard and fast say none. Yeah. Ease yourself in, do what I did, buy yourself a nice Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. Get a C63 for a good price secondhand. They still look fantastic and it's they drive well. A bit different to a McLaren though. Like exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Most of those and, guys aren't. Uh, I think something that a lot of people uh, forget when you're in that early phase, you've got a great trajectory ahead of you. Things are taking off. Things are going well. A McLaren or a Lamborghini is not a very comfortable daily car. Mm. The people that you see that have great success that drive around in supercars have other cars that they drive as a daily because it is very hard to pull into Woolies car park in a Lamborghini. Yeah, and it's probably not good after a leg day in the gym yeah, to get exactly, down into exactly. one of those. Either, yeah, so. bucket seats are not <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> I mean, it would be a good problem to have still some cases, but like you said, most people, if you're seeing that, and especially because a lot of people that would listen to this are going to be in that under 30 range as well, is understanding that one, most of those guys don't own the cars. Um, they're probably leasing them or they're, they're just their friends, but it's also for them selling their courses and all that, it's a very profitable decision to probably invest if that's the path they're taking. Like it's, Bit of not not a, a morally great way of going about mm. it, but in their eyes, a business investment, putting a Lambo out front, um, selling you then their course on how to to make money online and ecom, that's probably a good investment in their eyes. I but, also think it's um, been done. If you're yeah. if you're listening and that's the kind of trajectory that you're down, find a uh, authentic way that relates to you that you can mm. show that level of financial competency without having to follow what has been done and is uh, beginning to be tarnished. Do you think that's changing? Like I notice a lot of people are getting even frustrated with like short form content, how it's all just like flashy, quick, everything's moving so fast. Everyone's kind of waking up to the fact that it's not really ideal for us to consume that. And now people are going for the podcast route. They're sitting down a little bit more longer form content. Do you think people in general are waking up to some of those things on social media? Like whether for me personally in fitness, it was people waking up that not everyone's a natty. And so comparing yourself to that person, the 16 year old Gymshark athlete that's clearly roided to the gills is not a natural. So stop comparing yourself to their journey. Yep. It's the same sort of thing in all these little aspects. They're like, holy shit. People yeah. are like, that's not fucking real. Yep. They, that conversation of PEDs, which I've, I've seen you talk about um, in previous episodes, that terminal, that phrase, let's think about it as like an umbrella statement of um, performance enhancing mm. throughout any of those areas. Uh, it's very important to think about who, you know, performance enhancement could be renting the um renting the vehicle or renting the house, you know, that could be um, all put into the same category. I think it's very important to look beneath the covers Mm. and see if you can find the long form content to prove that that person is who they say they are. So how do you then with your, what you're doing, say with Alpha Tradie and, you know, your mentoring and you're um, helping these guys build up their businesses, how are you approaching 
not coming off like a wanker, um, to, <laughs> to ensure that you kind of seem like, you know, genuine, you know, from the, the short period we've spent with each other, you, you know, genuine person. How do you portray that to these people that you're trying to, to help? It's a very tight line to walk mm. because I, I know that myself, I really do like material goals. Um, I find it very easy to attach, uh, you know, a future milestone within the business, which will be a revenue mark that I can attach a, a gift or award to myself. Um, you know, things like a, a watch or a piece of jewelry or something that I can wear as an artifact. Um, I have to be very careful about uh, letting that part of me take over too much. Um, but with the work that we're doing at the moment, I'm finding it very fun to not see things online through the short form content and go, I want to create that. And I want to, uh, I want to do that because that's something that I was doing for quite a while. It was like, you know, imitating. Um, I'm finding it very enjoyable at the moment to take the content, create the content or create the lesson frameworks or the things that I really want to teach. And I know well, and that I know have worked Uh, and then involving them with my students um, and our community and seeing how, uh, you know, how the data is returned back to us. So even from um, shooting content, very raw, very just, uh, mm. you know, iPhone um, front camera facing, telling an actual story as opposed to having the, you know, the great cuts and the great edits with all the flashy elements to it. Um, I'm finding that even those kind of uh, views and engagement are a lot higher. Um, then also going to the things that we're actually teaching uh, I'm going back through the different phases when I was growing, you know, the zero to a million dollar mark, who was I, um, you know, journaling a lot of this stuff. What were the problems that I have? I even going back through my old journals mm. to find out those um, exact issues that I felt and then creating our frameworks based around those. Mm. Um, and also bringing guys in who, are, uh, as our small business mentors to, uh, guys that, who guys that, are currently in that scenario, you know, their business is doing the, you know, zero to million dollar mark, having mentors that are in the same process or the same area with their own business or their own side hustle enables them to relate on such a better level. And then building out those kind of teams um, or that kind of team model um, is turning out to be a lot of fun. It gives the students exactly, uh, you know, a relatable answers or a relatable person um, because I see a lot of things, um, a lot of content, a lot of people, uh, and, you know, say, take, take a podcast, for example, um, someone gets interviewed, who's, uh, quite successful. They might have a net worth hundred million dollars. Uh, the podcaster asks what their daily routine is. And, you know, let's take Simon Baird, for example, mm. um, culture Kings, uh, he's got a wicked recovery setup. I'm quite concerned whether young guys who are creating a clothing brand look up to him and, uh, directly see uh, or hear his uh, daily routines and assume that they need to do that in order mm. to be that. Correlation is not causation. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm very cautious about those different phases, those different styles um, and delivering the right message for the right person. Mm. Do you think that then that or the authenticity of that as well actually speaks truer to the people you actually want to target? Like it's um, my previous podcast with Cal Robinson. Uh, he's like into marketing and things. And um, we were talking about Sabri Subi. I'm not sure whether you're familiar yep. with him, um, but reading his book, um, How to Sell Like Crazy. And a big thing he tapped on was like, no one has a traffic problem. So if you're doing the shortcuts and the wah-wah and, you know, that's how you're putting your marketing out there, these tradie guys are like, what the fuck is this? Like, you yep. know, that, that's not authentic to your market anyway. Whereas just a dude sitting there talking uh, in a t-shirt 
and uh, some nice pants, you know, having a chat and and being talking the language that they understand and doing all those things. They're like, oh, that's actually more relatable and that's actually a, a better business option as well. So you're understanding your audience um, exactly. through that authenticity. It's funny you say they sell like crazy. I was sitting um, at a boardroom table the other day. A client came in, um, great one-on-one client who I work with personally. Um, he's got an awesome business. He does um, uh, works directly for commercial construction. So he doesn't have anything to do with the general public. Um, he saw the Sell Like Crazy book. It's got a bright red cover if mm. you haven't seen it. Uh, he saw it on our um, library bookshelf and he goes, do I need to read that? Like I've seen that book. I've seen the ads, love the ads. We had a good conversation about Sabri's messaging um, and how fun his ads are. You know, the tequila enema type, Mm. Um, his first seven seconds are amazing. And we were talking about, you know, those ad frameworks and the way that uh, his messaging is put together. Um, And the main question from uh, my client was, should I get the book and should I read it? And I flicked it open to the area where it uh, details Facebook ads and Google ad structures and frameworks uh, and said to him, we know your client. Your client is uh, commercial builders. We know how to reach our commercial builders. We the Commercial builders are a great targeting client because you know exactly where they play. You know yep. exactly what business they are. You know their um, job roles and job titles. Pretty much all of them are on LinkedIn, so you can find every name to job title to company. Mm. Uh, we had a good conversation about Facebook ads would be totally irrelevant. Google ads would be totally irrelevant because we know where the people are. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's just funny you mentioned Sabri. And that would be not, yeah, you, you still wouldn't have a traffic problem if you were contacting and trying to reach people in those positions or those platforms is looking in the wrong place. Exactly. Like it's, you're marketing to me who doesn't give a shit about that. Yep. You're wasting your money. Yep. Like I find it's hilarious when you see ads of some of these products and they're targeting you and like, I don't know why you think I'm going to buy this thing in the first place. Like you <laughs> Or did you not like- detail an audience well enough to get me? <laughs> I'm like, surely even just click the automated Facebook would be better at understanding <laughs> yeah, where exactly. your ad should go than yep. you. And maybe that comes back to another Another thing as well is when people should start to let go of different roles and different things like that is when they're not performing that well, maybe going, oh, I have a decent understanding, but I'm at a level now where I need to start to you know, delegate some of these tasks as well. So in your time with Build Clean, scaling to over 100 um, staff, when do you know, it's obviously going to be very different depending on um, role, depending on um, where you see your growth, but what are some key things that start to pop up when you're like, yeah, I should probably start to delegate or hire and expand the team into a, a new role? I love the question. It reminds me of a phrase, a good friend of mine, Toby Pierce told me, uh, managerial ego, and it's always stuck with me, you know, and touching mm. on what we spoke about earlier about ego. Um, knowing when you have when the topic has exceeded your circle of competence and knowing when you should either delegate it to somebody else or outsource it to an agency um, is a core component of understanding where your managerial ego sits. Um, Something that always pops up to me is uh, particularly with a lot of the kind of target market that, you know, um, we look at a lot of our community. uh, Everybody wants to have the nice flashy office uh, and, a lot of our clients or a lot of my students' clients don't actually go to their office. So we always uh, are coming back to talking about how managerial ego wants us to have the flashy office because it looks cool, um, but doesn't actually add any value to our clients. Yep. Um, and we've, we've kind of taken that term throughout a lot of the phases of uh, growth, particularly as you have enough profits to be able to reinvest them in a certain area and using those resources wisely, understanding whether... Um, say I've got a bachelor of business with a specialization in marketing, great title, doesn't really help me when it comes to the marketing space. Mm. Um, and 
knowing, for example, there, when we got to, you know, one to one and a half million dollars in revenue, we can afford to have an agency and take over and relinquish some of that activity for me. I had to understand whether it was my managerial ego that was popping in that would uh, have reservations or hesitations to delegate that or whether I was um, acutely aware or aware enough to be able to then um, delegate those responsibilities. Mm. Now, by delegating them, it doesn't mean that we've relinquished all responsibility. Um, the accountability still sits on um, the person of that particular department, whichever yep, yep. field that's in. So in that you mentioned agency, why would then someone, devoting a little bit from the initial question, why agency? Why not hire uh, just internally? Through the scaling up period, I'm big on uh, outsourcing where you can within reason. Now, the outsourcing word gets thrown around a lot for like virtual assistants and that kind of thing. I think there's grounds to be had for things to outsource and things to not. Um, I would like, uh, I, I usually advise people to lean on agencies for things like graphic design is a very easy one because it's mm. usually a short-term um, thing. Uh, marketing with a specific regard to ads, depending on what that medium is. Uh, you can either hire someone in who's a generalized person that sits under the umbrella of marketing who knows a little bit about a lot, mm. or you can hire a media buyer in only meta ads who will produce you the optimal output for that area. So yeah, yeah. be specific about what you need, who you're targeting, um, and then get the best person for that specific area. Um, even if, uh, you know, take the marketing topic because we're going into that. You may have five agencies or contractors which do specific needs within your marketing strategy. However, you or whoever the um, head of marketing area is uh, still has to oversee, collate and bring all the information together to ensure that it runs in alignment with the marketing strategy. Yeah. So if you're going, you're like, oh, we probably need an ops manager or something. You're not going to run to an agency to try and find that because like you're trying to fill a role that's going to be there for exactly how long exactly whereas those those short-term tasks or in the case like marketing is not a short-term task but like it's the the chances are if you i don't know where where i heard this um it might have been the all-in podcast i think which is like a three or four like billionaires who just talk about especially like ai that's their big thing but in the day and age we live in like if you're take myself in this example i i don't have the money say to just hire 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 so an agency might be a really good option early days because you could maybe then spend $100,000 a year and have a team of 10 different minds who overall they come together and they work one full-time role, but it's 10 different minds coming together all with an expert um, you know, expert knowledge rather than paying one person $100,000 to work in your business. Yep, Once to do everything grown, mediocre. Exactly, yeah. Yep. So then when you've grown and maybe then you can hire five to 10 individuals because the business like maybe that's never actually a good option for your specific business but say like a, a google eventually they they hired and they just keep expanding their software engineers you get to a bigger level business but if you're a smaller business an agency might be just a better option to have more brains as well keeps it lean yeah i think you're a point on <clears throat> picking who you outsource and who you don't marketing agencies are an easy one because you can pick an exact function. You know, you'd break your company um, down into how many leads do we need? How much do we convert at what, you know, price do we convert those at? You can then push back to the marketing function and say, we need to derive, you know, 20 leads per month through Facebook ads, 20 leads per month through Google ads and 20 leads per month organically. That's very easy to kind of outsource that function in that particular medium. When you said, uh, trying to outsource an operations manager an operations mm. manager is everything that is the functionality and the business model of your 
um, inner workings of your company specific only to your business playing on your field. Mm. Definitely hire in for that person to run all your systems and processes and kind of hire or outsource for people to run on another field, which would be, you know, your meta or your, um, you know, if you're LinkedIn ads or Google ads or whatever you're doing. Yeah, so, so kind of like product keeps in-house, product service, whatever. Yep, yep. Uh, in that case, then that's where you can start to be like, you can outsource accountants, you can outsource it because you don't need them to see operations on a daily basis. People that need to see what you're doing on a daily basis, you should probably hire them yourself. Marketing agency doesn't need to see what you're doing every single day. Like, exactly. You know. Generally, professional services, marketing, accounting, yep. uh, legal, uh, yeah, finance generally. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. And now, so back to the point of, so you've scaled, you've got a hundred people. How do you ensure quality, uh, as you continue to grow or even improved quality through that growth period yep. of um, what those people are all putting out. Okay. I'm going to run through this really quickly because it starts somewhere and we'll get back to it. So in order to ensure that you grow and scale effectively and increase efficiencies as you go and maintain or improve customer satisfaction, there are a whole bunch of things that come prior. Um, if we're um, if you're not watching, you're listening, think about, uh, you know, a clockwise rotation. We've got strategy at the top where we want to go, um, short-term, long-term goals, um, everything that is strategic direction and Northern star type things. Then we have marketing, creating attention. Um, how are we going to find that attention? We have sales. How do we convert the attention? Um, we have uh, operations um, or product service. Uh, how are we actually going to fulfill it? We have people. Who are the people that are going to do the roles within the business in order to do everything so far? Uh, finance, how are we going to get paid for it and reinvest those funds into or reinvest those resources into um, turning the wheel further? Mm. So, <sighs> that was a lot. How do we maintain <laughs> Here it? Here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> We need to set aside KPIs for every one of those functions. KPIs is a massive term that everyone throws around. It's often people get buried in the marketing KPIs, which aren't necessarily the most important KPIs from a holistic function of way, the way the business model works. So pick a couple KPIs for each of those elements. There could be five, six um, different departments within your business. So we want to make sure that we are following in order to maintain our consistency, in order to maintain our service, our quality, our product, um, and our customer satisfaction. We're going to pick up apart a couple of those um, key performance terms and create indicators from them. Um, customer satisfaction is a fantastic one to monitor at scale because you say if we can refine the model and the product and or service at the moment based on you know a percentage score which um, we extract from whatever data we can within the business maintaining or improving that at scale becomes one kpi for your operations product or service delivery um, function mm. um, and also internally as well something along the lines of uh team member satisfaction, um, some kind of uh, quantifiable culture driver will assist in the um, overall process of improving the value and deliverables to the customer through customer satisfaction, improving the culture or some form of driver within the team to ensure that we don't lose good talent so that good talent's retained and good talent trains more good talent in order to better deliver value to the client. Mm. And I believe that's how we manage scale. <laughs> Sounds about right too. So if you need, go back, listen to that four times and put it on yeah, slow. Exactly. Uh, anyway, but so then you, you touch on KPIs. So knowing what to measure mm -hmm. is very important. Yep. Because if you're measuring the wrong things when you're scaling, then you know what gets measured gets improved generally. How do you ensure you're, you, you're choosing the right things to set as like KPIs? 
let's start by writing a list of vanity metrics. <clears throat> vanity metrics are very easy for everybody to pull apart. Vanity metrics tend to be like revenue as opposed to net profit um, or EBITDA. Uh, vanity metrics tend to be like followers or views per reel or average mm. views per reel or a click-through rate or average cost per lead. List down as many vanity metrics as you can find. Park that list over, almost put cons above it as opposed to pros. Then we want to, if you've got a piece of paper or whiteboard in front of you, decide what kind of departments there are within your business. There's going to be some form of marketing, sales, operations, people, finance. Uh, decide what those departments are. Um, this is kind of based on um, Jim Collins' concept of turning the flywheel. It's essentially saying what departments go in, what order and what flow um, throughout the business. Then picking the one or two core numbers that will tell you whether that function of the business is succeeding, um, which Usually, let's just say uh, for for example's sake, marketing may be leads, sales may be average sale value, um, operations may be customer satisfaction, people, employee satisfaction, finance, um, <clears throat> net profit. Uh, and then we go, okay, well, which one of these KPIs on its own um, doesn't stand up? And let's take net profit, for example. Net profit would be... Uh, a pointless KPI to have as a standalone KPI because net profit of $10, um, whether it's 50% or 10%, mm. um, is very different to the net profit of a million dollars, whether it's 50% or 10%. So we go, okay, that KPI needs a secondary KPI in order to justify it. So then we go, well, revenue and net profit together formulate a great set of KPIs for your finance function. Mm. Leads alone is irrelevant because there's still a conversion rate. So then you'd need some form of conversion rate to sit as a secondary KPI for marketing. For sales, your average sale value could be okay, um, but something along the lines of conversions, you may decide whether one sits in marketing or one sits in the sales function if you've got salespeople versus a online VSL or um, you know fulfillment process. You see how we're starting to put some hypotheses together of what kind of KPIs we think might work and then trying to pressure test them. Do they work on their own or do they need a complementary KPI mm. in order to justify or prove that that is on the right track? So how, how important then is, let's say, let's take the leads or traffic leads conversion rate. How important is it then to look at traffic leads rather than just looking at conversion rate? Because at the end of the day, you're kind of like, well, I only really care about the people that I get. Like, is it, where does the priority lie? Is that just because you don't want to be wasting money on marketing or something like that? If you've got huge amount of traffic and leads coming in yep. and you've got like no one converting, you're either convert, you're either messaging is to the wrong people or you're, you know, maybe you just, the, the pitch and the sale in the marketing is shit. How yeah. The important? reason, the overarching reason for the KPIs for setting out quantifiable data points is to prove that we are on the right track. So if we are focusing to prove if we're on the right track, if we are great, continue doing what we're doing. If not, then how do we diagnose the problem? So by having, you know, the one to three, we can go through, like for your example, um, is traffic the problem? Do mm. we have enough traffic? Um, looking back on historical data, whether you're going to report on this weekly, um, fortnightly, monthly, quarterly, looking back on data and say, is traffic the problem um, that's causing us to not hit our revenue target? Then we go back through, okay, traffic's not, leads is not, ah, maybe conversions is. This is where we start to extract then priorities for you as the director or leader of the company to mm -hmm. go, um, adding more money to ad spend doesn't necessarily result in the growth of the company. Looking through the different KPIs and going, okay, 
potentially we should invest some of our energy or resources or attention into increasing the conversion rate, which means that we don't have to add more capital, which means it doesn't cost come at more um, expense from ad spend um, and so on. So we're looking at having those multiple KPIs, not only to just measure our success in inverted commas, um, but also to be able to diagnose what our priorities should be. Because uh, you, you and I both know we can sit back uh, at our computer after having our morning coffee and go, okay, <clears throat> What the fuck am I going to do today? Every day. <laughs> Every day, yeah. Yeah, but having, having um, you know, whether you're looking at these KPIs on, um, you know, whatever period they are, daily, weekly, um, fortnightly, and so on, you could have a quick analysis of, okay, how are we? What is the snapshot of the business performance of this particular time? Can my priorities or should my priorities be fixing certain areas that are lower than target? Or um, if everything is on target, where would the lowest hanging fruit be? Would mm. increasing conversion rate produce far more net profit or return for the company than just improving revenue alone. Mm. How do you then, like, do you think it's important? So um, I'm early days, I'm building out my business, I'm building out my product. How important is it to to ensure that this scale uh, is smooth? Is it to start having these procedures and these steps kind of written down, let's as per se, so that when someone comes on, they kind of go, oh, this is how we do it. And it kind of feeds into the whole system as well. Does that allow a lot smoother process? Like, should you be doing that from day day one? Or is that something that, I think it's a that, really you know- smart thing to do. Uh, and the reason I was quite cautious in saying that is, I think it's a really smart thing to do to document your simple steps and processes. I think you can very easily get bogged down in doing the wrong thing by over-engineering those systems and processes. Mm. Let's say, for example, your company is doing um, quarter of a million dollars annualized revenue. So you're doing 250K. Um, you've got good enough profits. It's just you within the company. You've got a good product to market fit. Uh, it would be important for you to be measuring, um, let's say, a handful of KPIs, somewhere around you know the 10 on a periodical basis. Uh, it would be good for you to understand what are the tactics that could be employed in order to improve those markers. Uh, it would be quite unnecessary for you to have uh, 1,000 documented Loom video 10-point uh, checklists on how to, say for a podcasting example, how to set up the lights, how to set up the camera, who's the right contractor mm. to get to do this, 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 this. Um, I don't think that that would be uh, advisable or the best use of one's time. Mm. Um, that said, though, if you do a task let's say three to five times, it's probably worth writing um, a very simple uh, SOP for it. Yep. So that way you are only as you need are building out, okay, I know that I'm going to take on, let's say just a personal assistant in six months time. Once my 250 revenue goes to 500, um, then I can afford to pay someone 100K, still keep healthy profits with business and so on. Um, then you might decide, okay, well, I'm going to invest a little bit of extra time per day or per week in order to refine Mm. Not only that job role and expectations, but also those um, accumulating SOPs so that I don't have to spend two weeks doing it um, all at the same time. I guess you don't want to be too strict on some of them as well, depending on the role and who's going, because they might be like, actually, we could do this better. Exactly. Exactly. So there is, I think to circle back on that to take a um, simplistic approach to it uh, without shortcutting it. So if you do need to, if there's something technical that um, needs to be done that generally isn't going to change too much or too much variance, that's specific to the way your business operates and it's a good idea to record it. Uh, don't get bogged down in doing non-revenue generating activities if you haven't cracked a million dollars yet. Yeah. So how does someone, 
how do you know what's a non-revenue activity? How do you know what's the putting out fire tasks versus the move the needle tasks? Ask yourself, does this add value to the client? Is a great question, a great framework to run to understand whether the task I'm doing is beneficial to uh, the greater model and moving revenue forward and, and moving the business growth forward. The reason I'm touching on revenue is because we're generally talking about the uh, quarter of a million to half a million dollar companies as opposed to the mm. 10. Um, thinking about does this activity actually add value to the client or is this a nice to have but not need to have item? So mm. I think that could be a good framework to run in order to understand uh, what should my priorities be today? How can I move the company forward? What's low hanging fruit? What are the, um, you know, the one thing that I can do today? But that's not specific. That's not necessarily, sorry, saying that it's not a necessary task. It's just not necessary for you. You could hire or you could delegate to someone else. Maybe it is a complete bullshit task. And now the stage you're at, you're like, oh, we don't really need to do that anymore. But a large part of that is generally just understanding when it's time for your role to move up and to delegate that to someone else. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And to also, I suppose, to not not get in the mindset of I'm above this, I'm beyond this, this task is uh, below me. Um, more thinking about do I need to do this task in order to better um, assist our fulfillment, in order to better increase the customer satisfaction, the overall delivery of the product or service? Um, if yes, do it and do it um, fast and well. If not, note it save it for somebody else to do mm. um, or it, it, believe it or not, but as you go through different stages of business and, and particularly different revenue marks are a good identifier of when you get there. Um, there are times where you'll be in particular sweet spots, you know, um, depending on your kind of business, let's say for example, around $1.5 million in revenue, you've got good profits, you've got a healthy team, you've got people doing the work for you. You will find there'll be positions where you will go, Things are running pretty good and I don't yeah. really know what to do. Yeah. That's where you could go back through. You might just save yourself a Google Doc of, uh, let's just call it shit jobs. Yeah. Um, you may save, save yourself a list of just things that you know that should be done, that could be done, that don't need to be done now. And yeah. you've started this list two years ago. We start this list today and in two years time, you look back on it and go, I might prioritize this list and start chipping away at all the things that I thought would be good things to do that mm. didn't actually add value then. But now that I have the time, I can keep, um, continuing to advance the company forward in the 0.1% um, drivers forward as opposed to the 0.1% or the 10% drivers forward that would have been done now. Yeah. So for the guys that are that you start working with, with Alpha Trades, that are, you know, profitly, they're, they're profit-wise, they're a bit stuck or, you know, growth-wise, whatever it might be, what are some key movers, low-hanging fruits for them early days to try and go, we can action this today to start to move ourselves towards um that scenario you just said of you know 1.5 mil, a little bit more comfortable, not having to do so much. What are the main drivers early days? Do we want to unpack this specifically? Let's do it. Excellent. So <clears throat> generally the two main drivers to increase profit, let's say, uh, let's do a case study. Um, we've got uh, ABC Electrical is doing a million dollars in revenue. The director still works in the company, fulfills maybe 25% of the work. So generally they're on the tools a bit. Uh, no middle level management. Let's say they've got um, four to five team members. It's a mixture of apprentices and qualified tradesmen. Uh, they come to me and they say, profits could be better. What should I do? We... Uh, go straight to the finances because the finances don't lie. What you lodge to ASIC and the ATO are as they are. So we go straight there. We look at the numbers. What we are looking for is um, our gross profit margin. And we are going to try 
an attempt to increase our gross profit margin without changing anything else. Um, and what that means is gross profit generally um, is all of your materials and labor grouped into one area as in the cost of the sale. Um, for benchmark figures, it's usually around the cost of sales is usually around 60%. So your gross profit margin, generally speaking, should be around 40%. Now that's a good benchmark. So you make a thousand, like you thousand dollar job, $400. Correct. Easy numbers. Correct. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, when we're in, in that scenario, um, you know, looking at a company that's doing about a million dollars, let's say for whole figures, they're doing $100,000 a month, so a bit over a million dollars in revenue. Um, let's say they're doing $100,000 a month. Every gross profit percentage point we can increase is worth $1,000 net profit. Mm. So the game then becomes... What are the levers that we can pull within the gross profit function? There really are two. There's efficiency of the team. Well, uh, two components. There's efficiency of the team and there's our margin and markup. Efficiency of the team is generally how quick do we get things on site? How well are our systems and processes uh, recorded? And how good is our training system in order for our team to deliver as quickly as possible? Hope we're keeping up. Mm -hmm. And the <laughs> other side of it is our pricing, quoting, margin and markup. Yep. So. We want to make sure first that we're reporting on them properly. So we'll be putting in, um, splitting up our billable and non-billable wages so that we're getting everything that is a direct uh, cost of sale into cost of sales so that we can reflect on it properly. We look at historical data to find out exactly where we are. And then we ask ourselves, could the team do more as one hypothesis? And the second being, could we charge more? Generally, the answers to both are yes, but. And then we uh, go on a... Um, on a journey of increasing um, or removing the butt uh, and increasing both sides to find what is the happy medium of uh, we could we ha we could have better margins but for this particular service so we're going to potentially uh, adjust our messaging to focus more on that particular area whilst we're also going to employ some tactics within the team some gamification processes to encourage them to want to um, work harder faster better more efficiently whatever uh, the right term is for the team. Mm hopefully um, uh, resulting in increases in net profit how due we, to increases in gross profit. How are you actually like, you know, any business, like, or any of this advice that's very, you can start to visualize that in any, any sort of product service. Um, you know, there's going to be some small intricacies that change, but generally speaking, that's going to apply for not just trades people as well. How do you then get the tradies? Let's say you take option A and you go, all right, we can do more. How do you get them to do more? Like it's, you know, you tell, you go up to Johnny and you say, mate, I reckon we can work a bit faster. He's, go yep. fuck yourself. No. <clears throat> okay. There's a couple of ways we can attack it. First thing, uh, first is to uh, pause the podcast in a moment. Uh, go grab the book, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. Mm -hmm. um, goes through um, the American Steel Corporation or something of the sort and, and some scenarios around that. It's a great book for understanding mm -hmm. incentivization and gamification for companies. Uh, pause the podcast, listen to that, come back, listen to every podcast from here on Key ever. part is make sure it'll come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Shameless plug. You just told everyone to leave. To the rest. Yes, but, but it's for the greater good of the yeah, people yeah, and, good, the and, the, and the future of their business and they will come back and listen to the next um, 200 episodes more golden until we get Elon Musk on <laughs> yeah. the show. Um Okay, so they will be uh, looking at some ways of incentivizing the team. Now, it's not just um, money remuneration um, incentivization. There are other areas where you can bring in, um, for lack of a better term, you know, corporate bullshit uh, being company values. And the reason I say corporate bullshit is because the majority of my guys will hear you say, we're going to bring in company values. And they'll just go, oh, get fucked. Eyes roll. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, Day you know, <laughs> knowing our guys, whether they're, you know, jip rockers or, um, brickies or concreters and stuff, you know, you sit, um, guys have 
our demographic down and say we're going to work on core on core values and they're just going to be like why i don't think there's even like i understand tradies probably take it to another extreme they go this sounds like a bunch of wank yes but even people in an office would be like oh fuck here we go again like, yeah 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 exactly but there is there is an ulterior ulterior motive to uh creating company values not only to uphold the brand and and the way that um we want the company to operate but also to be able uh for a manager or for leaders in a to enable them to deliver a um, non-personal um, form of feedback, constructive or criticized feedback um, that's non-personal. So you can relate it back to the values as opposed to, uh, I feel like Johnny, you are doing a shit job. Um, you could have a core value, uh, take one from uh, Bill Clean that's fucking smile. It's our first core value. In mm. Instantly, you can see that um, it's very easy to get uh, adoption from the team given its name because it's a bit of fun everyone has a bit of a smile bit when they hear it and then they're ready to listen to this <clears throat> exactly but also we can go back on site and say johnny um you know in your mind you're going to want to say johnny you're doing a shit job um, as opposed you could say johnny our core value here is fucking smile it seems that you're distracting the team mm. um by you know bringing some form of negativity or whatever um the issue is into the work environment our core value is fucking smile It'd be really helpful uh if you could keep that up or we can have a performance review to talk about ways that you know, we can um, improve the things that you're doing. So you're taking the, I think you're doing a shit job out, adding mm. the core value in, in order to give a talking point, almost making it a third person or a, um, it's not me, it's the core value that um, you're disappointing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not, he, he doesn't go home and go, Sam came up to me today and said, da, 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 da. It's kind of like, no, no, no. The business requires me to do this in order to keep, you know, exactly. Now the beauty, required. the beauty of the core value element is that you can construct them in a various bunch of ways. Usually, there's one around upholding uh, the brand value um, or the the delivery of the um, product or service to the client. Uh, you can have one usually about efficiency. You can have one usually about you know generalized culture, uh, and then have you know one or two more. You want to keep them quite simple, mm. um, but generally you can find one of the core values to um, provide constructive criticism to any of the team without it coming from uh, a person who I think you're doing X mm. wrong. When does enough become enough? You've come to this person, you see this is the the opportunity for growth, and we're going to take this path. But this person doesn't want to do it. It's not happening. When does enough become enough? And you go. Unfortunately, now this is letting the rest of the team down. So it would be selfish of me to to keep this person at play, um, and we have to look at you know hiring someone else or moving them a into one. a different area. If it's that's a tough possible. one because it depends. It depends on the business size. It depends on the person themselves. It depends on the issues that they're posing for the team. Um, there's some great literature called the five dysfunctions of a team, which you could review. It's a leadership fable, um, just about the ways that kind of toxic people can. Um, intrude on the workplace uh, but I think it's important that there's no hard and fast rules of you know if you break core value you're out mm. because that doesn't factor in uh, what project we have coming up how far this person is through a particular project does the client generally have a good relationship with this person they could be a star performer and an asshole to the team but the client really likes them so for the political um, component of finishing this project and that person's leading hand we're going to keep them until x in order to um, fulfill the client's requirement. Mm. Um, 
a lot of what's missing throughout that whole area when you do have um, problematic staff is a um, underlying framework for performance reviews and whatever term you want to use for that, but regular catch-ups with team to find out how they're doing and also to give them any kind of um, pro or con feedback. Mm. So I think that's usually missing because a lot of people think, oh, I've got a problem guy now. I need to have my first performance conversation mm. with them about how bad they're doing. Um, it's a lot easier to have a a monthly or quarterly framework where you catch up with your guys for a coffee for 10 minutes. Say you've got five guys in your team. Um, every quarter uh, you catch up with one of them for 10 minutes. Um, so they've got a later start on site, have a coffee yep. with them first thing in the morning, that kind of thing gives you an opportunity to give um, uh, credit where credit's due, um, but also any fix any kind of um, loose bolts on the mm. way through. So you're kind of initially looking at, let's look in the mirror first rather than looking through the window in the fact of, I'm going to look at what I could improve first. If I improve what I believe is what I can improve and this person's still doing this, then you start to go, maybe something needs to be Exactly, done. exactly. But to loop back to um, when do you get rid of someone? Mm. It depends. Yeah, famous <laughs> saying. I'm like, Sorry, I it's can't funny, I know, you, but it depends. <laughs> it, it, if you hadn't told me that you knew Toby... The amount of Toby Pierce podcasts I've listened to, and he says it depends. I'm like, you've spoken to Toby, like because the yeah, amount, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a it, famous answer. Like, and it, it's business, it's life, it's everything. I mean, we can try and exactly, uh, it's, and it's it's how much context uh, is available to answer the question. Probably mm. is probably the more depth, um, uh, the backing behind. It depends. Mm. I guess yeah, like there's there's always it's it's no different to in your, in your life i guess in general if it's have if one person is absolutely tearing your whole life down and ruining the other 10 connections in your life then you probably need to do something about it um because otherwise you're letting other people down as well like if that if that's the difference between we will go out of business because this person is destroying it like that's a bit different to uh we're not quite as effective because of this but other things are also going well with this person. Like. Exactly. And then you're starting to draw out priority levels mm. between what is a crisis and what is a, a tune-up. Mm. Mm. So what in terms of then scale, um, for tradies specifically, um, you know, it's very much a – it's not – not local, local, you don't have to be limited your specific area. Let's say you're based in Glenelg, you don't have to just reach people in Glenelg, but you're not getting people in, you know, the United States. It's a little bit, and even then, very you, hard you know, to very hard to um, install the new aircon unit for somebody in yeah, um, exactly Florida. I mean, robotics is not to, long, maybe uh, like. to West Beach. Um, <clears throat> so, ha, what, what you know, you mentioned um, Facebook ads versus Google ads versus this. Where, if someone is is very much a local based business, should they be looking to uh, promote and market themselves? I'm not going to say exactly what medium would be best because it depends. Mm. Yeah, yeah. However, yeah. I think there's some I'm important frameworks. <laughs> <laughs> there's some important frameworks that you can run uh looking particularly uh, well not only at your ideal client, your ideal target market, but also um what kind of clusters uh those particular people or those particular personas um congregate in and then working out what are the tactics uh, that could be employed to target those particular congregations. Let's say mm. um, for, let's pick somewhere around the country. Let's say everybody knows the Gold Coast. Let's say you're an electrician on the Gold Coast um, and you service only retail. 
or you service only commercial clients, commercial being, um, you know, industrial estates, that kind of thing. You would find ways of, you, you know, you'd list out a bunch of tactics in, in which uh, tactics being things that I could do in order to achieve a desired outcome being leads or work or revenue or sales. Um, what's the list of tactics that I could do? Um, oh, almost hypothesizing, working out what do I think the general costs are going to be. So let's just say for this particular area, you're an electrician on the Gold Coast, you target commercial clients, you go to Southport Industrial Estate, um, you know, in your mind, you've, or you're at the top of your list, you've got Southport Industrial Estate. There are several tactics you can do. Uh, you could do Facebook ads, you could do LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads, uh, you could do Google ads. Um, as far as your advertising, you know, organics hard to measure and we're not going to understand whether we got much out of that. Uh, we could do um, direct site visits. We could do um, uh, Google My Business Directory list scraping. Um, you know, there's a bunch of tactics that we could do. Then we could say, okay, what's the time requirement for that? Um, time and or cost. So time being uh, if I'm going to personally deliver or site visit to these uh, industrial estates, uh, on average, I might be able to visit one site per hour. Let's mm. say there's 200 there. It's going to be 200 hours to complete the task. Uh, let's go jump back up to one of the ads. There's going to be a uh, ads learning phase, um, which can be time and money. So it's going to maybe take three months for the ads to you know learn the audience and, and that kind of thing. You also need to pay the agency fee for that. You also need the content. Then you need the ad spend. What is the accumulated value of that versus the accumulated value of going to visit mm. them on site? Is time a priority? Do I need it done now or do I need it done later? Uh, and do I have the time to do it? Do I have the money to be able to do either or? And you start to get almost a checklist across the spreadsheet of uh, it is a lot cheaper um, but more time-consuming for me to do this particular task. However, uh, and the urgency is high, so I should do this first and then do that. Mm. If you've got the capital to do both, run both at the same time. Mm. Um, I hope that answers how we target Somebody. It depends. No, <laughs> no it, it makes sense. Like it's, um, I mean, for all in all is understanding your audience is the simplest thing that you should focus on at the start of a marketing sort of where are they hanging out uh, is a good place to start. Yep. Turn and start off, to unravel from there. Turn off any other influence. Nobody knows your company like you. Nobody cares about your company, by the way, in case you didn't know. Mm. Um, nobody cares about it as much as you do. Generally, nobody cares at all. Uh, so turn off every other stimulus and, um, information coming in, turn it all off, sit down with a piece of paper, go, who are the people that I want to work with? What are the most, the highest profit jobs, uh, that I can do for the particular person? Um, we're starting to understand exactly what we want to do now. Think about where they play. Mm. You know, uh, residential builders is a great example of where do they play? Residential builders typically only play on Instagram. All of their showcasing, all of their work. Yes, they're backed up by their website and they've got to Google My Business and they do their own ads to get their clients in. Most of their flexing is done on Instagram. So you would say, you know, I service residential builders. These are all the ways that I could get to them. They play on Instagram. What are the tactics I could do in Instagram um, at a cost and time basis? Do those first. Mm. Switching out of marketing a little bit. Please. A lot of people, <laughs> um, you know, like pro a lot of people get into business, they see a problem. Uh, they create a product or service to solve it. Tradies, a lot of people, you know, they start as an apprentice, they build their way up, and then they go, hmm, I could probably make more money if I run my own sort of business. A lot of people don't know how to run a business though. So what are, like, even before they come to the stage where they're even maybe reaching out to someone like yourself to, to, to get that help, to get that mentorship as well, what do you think were some, looking back, key things you would have really liked to put on the, the forefront of learning when you first went into business. Um, because like, you know, I, I look at myself with what I'm doing now, 
it's all about product because without a product, marketing doesn't matter because I, I can't sell anything. But you've got your product, you've got your service, where to now? I think even before we've got our product and we've got our service, <clears throat> when you're thinking about, let's just say the trade example is easy. You're a qualified tradesperson. You're working for somebody else. It's a good company. You've been there for four years. You did your apprenticeship with them. Uh, I think it's good to go introspective, talk to yourself, establish with yourself what do you really want to achieve in the future is uh, work-life balance with a little bit of uh, leadership or managerial responsibility and a decent take-home package with relatively low stress. Is that your ideal life? Now, you can still own your own house, have a couple of investment properties. There's still plenty of um, you know, potential take-home income that can be produced from that framework without having to go into the exceptional um, stress but also equal um certain equal of fulfillment if you can achieve it um to go and do it all yourself so i think a lot of people uh, miss that and just think i'm working for someone else i'm getting paid and and this is a very good example and if you think like this this is a, a great opportunity for you to um, establish if you are this character profile thinking about how much you get paid per hour from your employer and then going oh, i can get paid more per hour doing it myself mm. i think there's a fundamental um, way or, or a fundamental identifier that you are thinking in an employee mindset as opposed to um, an employer mindset. Uh, and if you are thinking about that, about how much you get paid per hour, uh, you are failing to think about the, if you're billing out at $100 per hour, what are your cost of sales? What is your gross profit? What is your net profit? Does your salary uh, come out of that or does your salary come out of profitability afterwards? Mm. There are so many facets of business and so many things for you to learn that uh, for a lot of people, it would be far more advisable to stay in the company that you already work with, with the boss that you like, you're the highest in the pecking order. So you um, could very rightly earn operations manager or the 2IC or the general manager. If the person that you're working for has got a vision to scale around the country, then you by very well means, and I've done this with my own team as well, go from working on the tools to working in management to project management to being a director of a certain mm. state. Uh, I think you should really consider what you want to achieve who you want to be, what are the real things that you would like to get out of life and whether that in order to achieve those, it is a requirement to do it yourself or whether they can be achieved um, in with a lot less friction mm. by joining or staying with somebody who is already on that path. I think it's your, your wise to around the, like you said, the initial example of I can earn more if I do it for myself based on an hourly rate is very much, well, clearly money's your driver. It's first principles too. Like it's like if I look at if I look at um internally, I go, I want to run my own business, I want to do this, da 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 da. It's not because I my first thought is not, well, I'm gonna make so much more than if I worked a job for someone else. It's so much more than that. Like I I just love it. Like it's a genuinely you go there and I'm like, I love the challenge, I love the the running around doing all these different things. But like as I spoke with Jack, like there are still roles of being an entrepreneur, like that can happen still within a business in a leadership role. But you know, and I think it's really unraveling the why behind you want to be an entrepreneur. Is it because it's some wanky bro Instagram um flashing Lambo sort of lifestyle as well? Yeah, probably don't do it. Like it's mm. um not not even don't do it, but reassess, look into it a bit more and you might un Ask yourself, I like to, it's like with clients, ask yourself why five times and you actually might find yourself at to the root cause of to this. So weight loss is an example. You come in and you go, I want to lose weight. Why? Well, I'm just not comfortable with my body. 
why? I think my partner looks at me like in the way that I'm not really happy with, you know, we always have to have the lights off. Okay. That's a little bit deeper. You know, it took us three. Well done. It's a little bit deeper as to why. Do the same thing for why you want to go into business, why you why it's a better option than working for someone else uh, and reassess from there. Exactly. Absolutely. I think that's sound advice. Think about what you really want to Clip achieve <laughs> before you bark down the path of, <clears throat> okay, the, the second and third order consequences of what you what happens within your life if you go down the uh, business ownership path or the small business route. Um, the vast majority don't succeed. I think everybody knows that. Mm. That's within the first year. Even then, the vast majority of those, and I don't want to state statistics because I don't know, but let's just say the vast majority of people don't make it in the first year. Um, even uh, a smaller percentage of that group don't make it past five years and then so on past 10 years. Mm. Let alone make money. Exactly. That's not even, It's going to take you a certain amount of capital to set it up, whether that's 50, 30, whether it's $100,000 to get up and moving. Um, so you really need some kind of capital unless you're going to run it from the ground. I started with $300. Mm. Um, it's a lot, a lot slower burn. Um, you are most likely not going to make any money regardless of whether you're in uh, tech, software, SaaS, um, service, product for like the first three years. Mm. Uh, then after that, you might take a mediocre salary um, with a little bit of dividends to top up. Um, then a few more years of working really significant hours. And it's not necessarily attendance-based hours, but it is thought capacity um, or mental calorie burn hours. Business, like business is very mentally draining. Yep. Lay on the pillow. It's like, oh, fuck. Three o'clock in the like, morning, yeah, yeah, sitting there thinking, how can I improve that service delivery? How can I improve that client? Taking notes, you know, all of those kind of mm. things. Stopping it. I leave a whiteboard marker in the shower because um, things just magically come to you while you're mm. not stimulated mm. by anything else. And I like to uh, write down on the shower screen what I was thinking mm. so that I can come back to it later. So is the importance of giving yourself time to think as well though the creative exactly time frame as exactly but some people don't care much for that amount um of focus mm. or that uh that cognitive load so uh there are other ways um including doing the five wires or seven wires or what you know whatever framework to get down to the root cause of what you want to achieve uh you could do that activity you could also do a personality test to find out whether you are um, not genetically disposed, but your character profile um, tends to push you towards leadership roles or whether you do work better um, as a, um, a leader, a manager, um, or a doer. Uh, you could also read a book called Rocket Fuel, which uh, may push you into the direction of whether you're a visionary or an integrator to see whether you would be better off being the figurehead, the public figure of the business, the leader, the entrepreneur, or whether you would be better off uh, joining forces with somebody who is that person so that you can be the doer as opposed to the beer mm. um, there are a bunch of ways that you can find out <clears throat> whether you would like to get into business uh, as opposed to just jumping in and being a entrepreneur do you think more people actually know the answer to a lot of those questions before got like in general than they realize like maybe not at 18 but let's say you're 25 still pretty young i'm 23 i've tried a lot yes but i kind of have a pretty good understanding i, I, I love teaching um, I love being a leader. All the all these little tendencies you start to pick up over time. You're like, yeah, I've probably got a fairly good idea of the sort of roles I want to find myself in. People just kind of try and tell themselves, no, 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 I'll be an entrepreneur because that's cool. Or as an example, rather than just being like, actually, no, like, yeah, and I, I think 
even to tell yourself that I want to be an entrepreneur, I, I don't particularly like the term, but to tell yourself that I want to I'll run my own business or work for myself or whatever that phrase is, uh, I think it's overly simplistic to think just that. That would be like mm. saying, I am going to be a professional. In? <laughs> yeah. A sport? Layer, layer, law. layer. Yeah. <laughs> you mm, know, to mm, say mm. every business has a business leader, every business was founded and started by somebody, to say that just alone I want to run my own business uh, you're flawed from the start. It's like, I want to run my own business because there's a problem I want to see, I want to solve, I have a really strong passion for solving that problem or I really want to, my family life to be like this and I feel like based on asking myself why a hundred times, I've come to the conclusion exactly. that this is the best option for the lifestyle I want. I get that life and I go, oh shit, wasn't what I thought it would be, continue to go again. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Making sure that you're learning along the way, taking as many uh, lessons as you can, um, not getting too um, shook by the setbacks as well. Mm. You know, whether that is um, through an employee basis or an employer basis. So mm. keep on learning, keep on sharpening the axe. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it feels uh, very lonely on either side. Sometimes you feel very underappreciated. Um I do find it very helpful to take a little bit of time for yourself, mm. um, whether that is through um, journaling or some form of uh, just even walking if you don't want to get into the full uh, woohoo, rah-rah, um, journaling and mindset side of things. Know that you know if you're feeling overwhelmed um, or feeling a little bit trapped mm. or um, whatever it is underappreciated, maybe you're going to set aside one hour on Thursday afternoon to go and take a walk. Yeah. Just um, set aside some time to think so that you can run through those frameworks. Mm. We don't have to be as detailed. Um, but it's always good to give yourself time to mm -hmm. think about what you really want to do. What are some of those things that you do personally on a daily or weekly basis? Like we said before, not meaning this will equal yes, <laughs> scale of no, success in business. Disclaimer, just, <laughs> there is no correlation between what I do and your success. There's plenty of like <laughs> fat, unhealthy people that get on the piss and still do well in business. Exactly. But it's also not saying you should probably do that either. But yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, there are a, okay, so to find out, to answer the things that I do at the moment, uh, we have to step back and go, how do I establish what are the kinds of things that I should do? And the things we're talking about, are, you know, biohacking tactics, uh, things that you can do to increase your personal performance, your way of life, your mood, um, your mindset. Uh, going back, uh, I've done things like um, blood tests. I've done things like... Um, uh, what are they like genetic tests, mm. um, all of those kind of um, screens per se to try and get a better understanding as opposed a better understanding of the data of myself as opposed to my opinion of myself um, upon finding out a lot of those things um, and reflecting on the way I like to do things and the reason that I do things. Uh, I found out that I run in surges. Um, what I mean by that is uh, I can work for three weeks pretty heavily um probably more than most but i also get to a point where i do need some time to recharge some time mm. to reflect some alone time um in which case it only takes me you know a day or two to to pick that up and then i can start again and surge again so that's one element that i know about myself um another element that i know about myself is that i'm a dopamine addict um that uh come about after years of analysis of heavy alcohol consumption um that would then lead to drugs cigarettes anything else that would provide a dopamine spike mm. Uh, I went to the other extreme example and went, okay, well, dopamine spikes come from, you know, those kind of activities. Dopamine spikes also come from things like ice bathing and um, working out and particular workouts and CrossFit and HIIT and all of those elements. Went deep into those, you know, became an ice bather every day. 
fundamentally that didn't make me any more or less successful. Um, that. <laughs> just adding that disclaimer alert, ice bath won't make you any less of an asshole. Yep. Um, so understanding what you are trying to achieve by the, what you are trying to achieve um, and then bringing in some tactics and objectives in order to um, mm. achieve that better. So for my example, um, I like, my body and my brain needs a certain amount of dopamine per day in order to feel like I have achieved what I need to achieve. So I try and derive some from delivering work with clients in a one-to-one -one basis. I try and derive some from an evening sauna occasionally. Um, I try to, um, you know, get in some kind of cold immersion a couple of times a week. And I try to do um, some combat sports through uh, jujitsu, or I try to do some kind of working out um, at least five to seven days per week. Mm. I know that adding those in at whatever times or periods they are throughout a weekly basis, I can balance my innate need for dopamine. Mm. So you've kind of refueled that into a healthier type yes. of dopamine as per se, but understanding that you you probably can't go as unhealthy as drugs, alcohol, all that sort of stuff with dopamine, but there is a level where if you over-obsess and like we said, like it's, you, you start to think that this will equal success or growth in business, well, now it's become a negative to your, if that's your your metric that you're measuring. You're doing these things for business success and now you're actually not doing much work because you have an hour and a half morning routine, you're tired exactly. after doing that. Yep. Well, now you've just worked backwards. It leads back to that uh, that phrase of mental masturbation where uh, you have a list of things that you do um, that takes one to two hours in the morning, which are not doing the thing. So effectively, uh, mm. you've spent the first couple hours of your day not doing the yeah. thing, prepping to do the thing um, and never actually got the thing mm. done. So I like to think about if you're going down the... Um, uh, the self-improvement path, uh, looking at things based on will this improve and what is the reason for this to improve? What is the time and cost um, outlay of doing this activity? Is there a better, cheaper, faster, uh, more efficient way to do that? Uh, and then also remembering that there's a law of diminishing returns where uh, just because you saunered once and you felt great or just because you ice bathed once and felt great or just because you worked out once and felt great doesn't mm. mean that if you do that three times per day, it will have an equal effect. Mm. That was good. I like that. Um, transition. <laughs> I'm very, sorry, I'm very cautious not to say like uh, I wake up, I take um, you know a certain amount of supplements. This is my supplement mm -hmm. stack. These are my macros. This is my workout regime because that is tailored yeah, specifically for yeah, me yeah. and whatever you do is for you and whatever I do is for me. And that's refreshing because like it's <laughs> and, and when no I'm like taking thing. all these things down, I'm like being very careful on how I approach them and whatever. And it's like I'm very similar in your mindset around those things. Like, I love that fitness is trendy. I love like you got an aura ring on. I love that people are wearing whoop bands and all this, but you still got to do the fucking work. Like it's yeah. that, that an ice bath doesn't put pen to paper. Um, you know, I think Cow last week he was like his MMA coach said it's like words don't cook rice. You got to fucking do it. Like it's yep. and you know so people you know they'll jump on Instagram ice bath this morning uh, went for a run twelve o'clock now I'm having lunch I'm like. Yeah, you've done nothing. Yes. Uh, fun this fact. It's a really like, cool lifestyle <laughs> if that's what you're into. Yeah, yeah. Look, if you if you don't plan on growing a business maybe or maybe you're at the other end and you're you're able to now dedicate more time. And that's where I think you mentioned Simon Beer before, someone like that, looking at a guy who sold Culture Kings for an enormous amount, hundreds of millions of dollars. You can start to try and replicate his lifestyle. That's not what got him to the success that he had. Uh, exactly. And so a lot of these guys, I'm not saying him specifically, but there's a lot of guys that then now really successful, and they're like, 
you know, you just got to really enjoy your life, you know, take your weekends, do all this. I'm like, motherfucker, you didn't do that to get where you are. Like it's- Yep, horses for courses. What the hell? Like Exactly. And you just got to be really careful of that. But I wanted to transition into, so now um, being a father of two, like we mentioned earlier, what are, how have some of your core values changed? Because everyone says that that is one of the biggest turning points in values of their life. And you mentioned it as well. 20s is for going, it's for doing for the big things. 30s, you start to kind of think about kids or you've got kids already. How has that changed things for you? I like what you said there. 30s is for going. 30s is for, uh, sorry, 20s is for going and doing. Let's just say, let's say your 20s are for, for doing, your 30s are for being. And your 40s will get to that mm. um, at episode 345. Mm-hmm. Got a few more years to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got seven years to get there. Yeah. Um, so I can't um, s- speculate on that. Uh, I do think that there is a massive value shift um, that happens outside of your control when you are expecting or you do have children. Um, it goes from the 20s mindset of I want to we frame it in a warrior mindset. I um, will go hunt, kill, do everything that needs to be done for hy- hypothetical tribe. Uh, once you do have the tribe ca- uh, come and you know you are the protector, protector and provider of your tribe, your family, your children, um, your internal appetite for risk changes because you are no longer invincible. You do have to be there. Mm. Um, a great example for me is I, I, did and still do enjoy riding dirt bikes. However, uh, my appetite and frequency at which I do that activity has reduced significantly since the children have arrived. Um, that's a nice example of how your values may change. Um, it is also uh, quite important to stay, I don't want to say stay true to your values, but uh, stay aware of um, what you do for you Um as one entity versus what you do for your family as another entity um, versus what you do for your relationship as a third entity. So when you're thinking about having more dependents um, and your family tribe, there are kind of three components there mm. that do all need different attention, uh, different values and um, different energy. Is that why the, you know, the importance of trying to encourage people in the twenties to do, to go out there, to try, to explore, to gain knowledge, to, um, I don't want to say save money, but it's probably a good idea to start doing that. But like, you don't want to, if you're, if you're fresh 20, don't go like, I'm going to save every dollar. It's like kind of reinvest to grow. That's why that's super, super important. And why you encourage people to start to do that because come kids, yeah, probably going to pull back a little bit in terms of the risk factor, like you said. Yeah, like and your your flexibility of time changes drastically as well, um, which does cause the value shift and the pri- priority shift, and then in turn comes the value shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an interesting question um, po- get posed to me um, late last week. Uh, a guy was saying, and he's in his 20s, um, a guy was saying, when should I take holidays and weekends? Because it, the framework of the context was he feels guilty when he's not at work, uh, but he's also cautious about kind of um, the popularized themes of like burning out and overworking and um, looking um, unpopular or uns- uh, not being social within his um, you know community and group of friends. Mm. Uh, so essentially he was saying, how much should I work and kind of what kind of uh, frameworks can I um, include to understand whether I'm working enough and um, give myself approval or permission to then enjoy myself on the weekend. Essentially, he was saying, should I work Monday to Friday and have my weekends off? My answer was, uh, I believe that having your weekends or your time free 
um, prior to children to work as hard as you can is a privilege. Mm. And you should use that privilege as much as you can. The only times that, and we're talking from a business leader perspective here, so a self-employed person, the only times that you should be taking holidays or weekends or time off is when you need it because you are in control of your own life and your own time. Mm. What that I mean, what I mean by that is uh, there is no need for you to to consider a Monday, a Monday, and a Friday, a Friday. They're not the start of the week and the end of the week. The work needs to be done just regardless. Um, however, mm. you may understand that you work best. And I've got a, a very good friend who works like this. He works at 5 till 12, so 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. He works effectively half a day, mm. seven days a week mm. because he knows that his best output's done in the morning. He kind of, um, his, his brain turns into a, a you know different kind of energy or wavelength in the afternoon, which he enjoys going to the gym, working out, hanging out with friends, being social. He spends his afternoons every day of the week being social. Mm. That is a great way for him to be able to get a massive amount of effective hours out every day. Um, what I'm getting by that, uh, what I'm getting to is that once children come along, um, there are certain uh, social conformities in which uh, children need to play in. Children need to go to daycare for some kind of socialization, um, whether that daycare is a government structured program, whether that's, um, you know, the privatized programs or whether that's a homeschool program. I don't care. I've got no, um, I don't care what you do mm. as long as your children get to socialize with other children. Um, but there are certain things where, your time is now dictated by your um, <clears throat> your priorities or your um, the the people that you are responsible for. Um, so, in your twenties, devise a day, week, time frame where you can do your absolute best output, optimize um, your day or your time for your best output, and rest when you need rest. Mm. Oh, this is really powerful, especially because. To the point of say like the ice bars and stuff, everyone post that on your story. It's the same like I oh, posted. I got up at fucking four thirty this morning. It's like congratulations, you you stopped. You you had a shit day. Like it doesn't mean you had a good day. Like versus maybe someone's like, ah, wake up at nine thirty, but I kept working till ten at night. Felt really good. Had a good day. It's like okay, that's cool. Yep. Like it's it's finding and that's part of in your twenties. That's what you're trying to figure out is what kind of works best for you. And then like you said, you've now created your, for yourself a really uh, well structured routine within obviously the the balance of children and work that there's still some up and downs there but it's it it find what works for you don't just listen to what you should be doing because of social media and things like that as well like it's exactly. very easy to get swept up in no oh, i have to get up at 5 a.m it's like well not if you don't work well at like 5 a.m or um you know not if you finish work at 11 o'clock at night like it's Get some sleep, like if you can. It's probably yep. a good idea. There's also though. There's also just to counter to you, not to punk the game at all. Uh, a couple nights of lost sleep or a couple nights of less sleep due to delivering a great amount of output at work will not kill you. No. Um, you'll never know the couple minutes you took off the end of your life. Going to festivals for 72 mm. hours, um, not eating any food, drinking any water and um, shelving a lot of ecstasy tablets is probably not a responsible way to lose an it's amount of sleep. But if you're, exactly, <laughs> if you're in a great flow state doing a, a fantastic amount of work, um, it gets to 11, 12 uh, p.m., 1 a.m., um, you may decide to continue and push and get that output knowing that it comes at the sacrifice of your um, ideal eight amount, eight hours of sleep, which you record mm. on your aura ring. You are taking some amount of sacrifice in order to achieve for the greater good because you're in your 20s and you have the privilege to be able to work yeah, as yeah. much as you can. It's more or less so work hard. the repetitive stuff. If you're five hours of sleep every night, then you start to go, yeah, it's not ideal. Exactly. But start if looking it's, after if your health. If you drive yourself into... Like, 
into um, some form of uh, disease-ridden state. If you give yourself a heart attack, a good friend of mine had a heart attack in his early 20s mm. due to overwork and overstress and a highly caffeinated lifestyle. Maybe don't push yourself that hard, mm. but he also now knows exactly where his limit is and it is far beyond where anybody mm. else is capable of reaching. So um, work hard. No one cares. Mm. Don't post it on social media. Yeah. So if anyone puts up an ice bath at five o'clock in the morning, go fuck yourself. No, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. Something along those or lines. Or just a, I hope you had a really great day. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> define whether you're doing anything special within that day either. Um, exactly. Back to the point of then children. Um, we mentioned before that we were diving into masculinity a little bit, which is a, an interesting topic. Like it, I think it's one that needs to be spoken about more because there's a lot. As, as a young male, I'd, I open up social media and I start to go, well, I kind of feel like it's, you shouldn't be a man. You shouldn't be masculine or it, it maybe things are trying to redefine what that should be as someone like one of um, your kids is obviously a young boy. And so he's going to grow up and, and be a, a very strong man. What's your take on masculinity? What are some things you're trying to think about? I don't know, early day fatherhood still, but do you want to instill value wise in your son? Can we please, because I know we've, we've can we please note that question. I want to touch mm. on something that is, uh, that's interesting and I'd like your um, feedback on it as well. I'm thinking of it um, as some kind of algorithm extremism. Mm. And what I mean by that is uh, the algorithms and the social media, the areas that we play and the information that's given to us across various um, platforms for our phone, our laptop and our TV um, <clears throat> is feeding us the information for which the algorithm believes we want to see. And then because we see more of it in turn, we are given more of it. Take, for example, us being young men, um, you know, and, and even, you know, Andrew Tate or anybody else that's in the um, kind of more not extreme masculinity, but people who are talking about that, we are then fed more information based on that. Then we are uh, consuming more information based on that. Then we are led to believe that that is in turn its own crisis because we're mm. not given the plethora of other information to equalize But if you shut off the, the phone and walk outside, it doesn't happen as much. Exactly. Mm. So what I'm thinking is algorithm extremism, coining the term, is the trajectory for society going into positioning everybody in their own extreme algorithm states whereby we are creating a civil conflict within each other based on um, mm. everybody's specific algorithm mm. uh, buckets. I think, yeah. And what do we think? I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> no, no, and it's because I th like working with a lot of like face-to-face -face PT still, you have these conversations on a day-to-day -day basis. Someone's like, oh, I saw this on da-da-da, or I'm in the gym. And it fucking pisses me off that they even have the news on in the gym. I understand people want to know. I'm like, it's sad when someone's something bad happens to someone in Queensland. I live in Adelaide. Like, and so like we're also on the same level of we're shown all these things that are, like you said, to the masculinity point. But then I'm also shown all these terrible events in the whole world. If I wouldn't have a clue that they're even a thing. So I start to worry about them. I say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, it must be a terrible place to live. Or like, you know, you don't go to America and everyone's getting shot, but on the news in Australia, all you see is people in America getting shot. Like it's, yep. <clears throat> it's so you're a, a very narrow perception of a situation or a place yes. as well. You're given, yeah, you're given specific information um, as opposed to what is happening as a greater good or as a wider population. Mm. 
I wonder whether ourselves included and everybody listening, whether we should and could have an activity where we're listening to a conversation, it goes down a particular path or there is a theme to it. Whether we think of, um, you know, putting a mental framework around, I wonder what this person's uh, extreme algorithm is and Mm. I wonder what information they are taking uh, from their extreme algorithm in order to uh, provide the backing for this conversation. And is Mm. this something Mm. that they genuinely believe or is this something that uh, not been manipulated to believe, but something that they've been given um, a vast majority of information on a single bias uh, side of the conversation so when I, we've both got our apple vision pros on and we're having the conversation on the side here it says this is sam's algorithm the stuff he gets fed on social media i'm like that's why he's the way he is like it's, <laughs> yes exactly and then exactly. tomorrow he's changed because he looked at one video of a dog and then it's like gone so mm-hmm. um but and i think well, that's the rise in australia who the fuck ever said left and right wing I don't even know the difference between the two just uh, well, because it's something that I, I don't care about and I don't yeah. have a, uh, a, a affinity to and my algorithm doesn't educate me mm. on it. Like I genuinely had no idea until COVID. Mm. Spend a bit more time on your phone. Maybe some PT clients start talking about it as well and now I start to feel like everyone's saying, oh, the left is woke and the, the, the right just want to kill everyone and the extremists and da-da-da. Like I'm like, I'd never heard of that in Australia. It's probably more an American term, but the more people get on social media and for the same thing, if you shut that off, you wouldn't realize it either. Like it, it doesn't really impact you. Now, to the masculinity, masculinity. point, <clears throat> that maybe shutting it off maybe won't, like it, it's not, let's let's look even deeper than social media. It's not just about what's portrayed on social media. It's, it's a hot topic, but it is an important thing because people are on social media. Yeah, that's, um, I'll unpack my ideas. I'll just, blurt out some information mm. on masculinity from my perspective. I think that um, a fun exercise is to look at the household that you're raised in, um, whether it's good, bad, happy, or sad. Uh, look at the um, – let's com- let's uh, segment them into blue and pink jobs and um, kind of what parent, whether male or female or female, female, male, male, whatever the household structure was, where were the pink jobs, where were the blue jobs, and what information um, did you absorb as a child uh, based on um, potentially who should do the blue jobs and the pink jobs? Because that's then how you will portray your um, your mental framework or your ideology of how you think a household should run. So say, um, you know, your dad was somebody who cooked the dinner and you didn't particularly like the food that he cooked. You may then come into your own uh, family household thinking that the woman should cook the dinner because, uh, and you may not be aware of it, but because um, in your childhood, your dad cooked the dinner and you didn't particularly like it. So now you believe that the woman should cook the dinner because the dinner could be done better. Mm. So as far as masculinity goes, I was raised in a household where blue and pink jobs were um, quite mixed, um, as in mum would work and dad would work as well, um, and they would alternate. So dual working household meant that mm. um, blue jobs and pink jobs were not blue jobs and pink jobs. Uh, going into my household now, um, I quite like the idea of blue jobs and pink jobs, whereas I'm happy to you know, handle the gardens um, and you know the finances of the household. I'm happy to um, go out and do the, um, you know, warrior components of, Mm. you know, hunter gathering type thing. Um, I love the idea of having pink jobs as well, not in a traditional, like I get home from work at five o'clock and dinner must be on the table type aspect, just in a, um, it makes me feel appreciated to know that some of the pink jobs are not my responsibility. Mm. Um, so where we're getting to with masculinity and femininity is, 
Uh, I think that doing a lot of introspective work about understanding what you like and what your household was like, what your family household was like when you were a child helps you understand potentially what kind of household you would like to, um, to raise for your own family and then engaging in those conversations with your partner or future partner or somebody you see being the mother of your children as to in future, I see this being how our household might look. I see this being some of the jobs that I might do and some of the jobs that you may do. And um, is there some conflict here? And, you know, you may not be, um, you may be great at cooking and preparing mm. and, you know, the nutritional balance of the food that you like to do. However, intrinsically, you're not motivated to cook dinner because you believe you could outsource it because you make a certain amount of hourly rate in your own business. And um, you believe that the value would actually be better if your partner would cook the dinner because then you, um, you know, jumping back to, well, jumping into kind of love languages, knowing that you like um, acts of service that would then fulfill that component with bringing in mm. many um, personal models of things that I would like, things that make me feel better, having those conversations with your partner about also what their side of their journey and their life is and then bringing it together. So once again, it's an individual approach. Like it's- It depends. You know, snap this fucking microphone. I do love the, the saying it depends as well. But And I think that's- um, accepting others and their relationships as well. Like if that's what works for them, yeah, stop stepping on their toes. Like, it's, well. um, like how many people, like it's almost, once again, social media perception is, oh no, you can't have like a, a male that gets the bread and then the, the, the wife does the, the cooking and the cleaning anymore. It's like, what if they're both happy doing that and vice versa? What if the dude's like, fuck yeah, I love cleaning. Like I want to do that. I love you know, taking the kids to school and all this. And it's like, if that genuinely fulfills both parties, hmm. what, what problem do you have? Like it's yes. and and uh, they don't have to be blue and pink jobs. I just like it because it's coloring and it helps my little brain work things out. People get um, it. Yeah. You can also create some amounts of polarity within your own relationship by having blue and pink jobs, or you know whatever your specific framework is, and the polarity would then keep you guys interested um, with a little bit of maybe not friction, but a little bit of um, you know different energies and and different experiences throughout the household position mm. in order to fundamentally maintain a healthy and happy um, and loving marriage for as long as humanly possible. Mm, mm. And I think on an individual level outside of relationship, I think it's it's powerful to for young males, it's okay to be a bit of a savage. Like it's put like you said, 20s, put your head down, do the work, get shit done, make some money, learn new things, meet lots of people, network, um, figure out what you do and don't want to do. Like that's okay too. Like it's um and then when it comes to relationships, everything we just said then is just perfect like excellent figure out what works maybe best for, for the younger guys as well who um i often think about how i would not want to be in this position now that i um have a loving wife and children i would not want to be a single male these days having to go out um it was equally as difficult when we were young as well when i was young um but to be able to go out and try and find who is going to be the mother of my children um i want to pose to you that um, at the moment, you've got plenty of time to think and make your decisions. You've got plenty of time to try before you buy, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but also try to think about things in a framework of, would this person be a good mother for my children? Would this person hold um, a certain amount of growth for me? Does this person want to be able to grow as well if those are kind of things that you value? Can I see uh, our future timeline at 40? Who is this person going to be? Who am I going to be? Are we going to be still on the same growth trajectory? Because growth is a big mm. thing that can segment people very differently in massively different directions um then going out instead of looking for somebody you know with tattoos blonde hair big tits looking for somebody who is um nurturing and mothering who has um 
uh, a certain makeup of um, uh, certain makeup of characteristics in which um, holds their energy up so that you can see you guys being on a similar trajectory mm. into the future. Mm. What could other young men do, do you think, to get themselves on that level to actually think like that as well like to see like it's you like you said you like to party when you were younger drinking all those sort of things um how do you get yourself on that path of being like because you know you could want all these things all good and well and you're an absolute right old mess yourself Hmm. she's probably that ideal woman probably not going to go for you yeah exactly i mean there's, there's a certain amount of maturity and straightening from the party scene that comes um as you get a little bit older um your affinity uh, affinity for different kinds of information will change as well going from uh just looking at information on tiktok to uh i wonder what sam said about love languages and then going and reading the book mm. about love languages because your interest and energy and attention is now going towards finding the future mother of your children mm. so um going down paths like that of um understanding different frameworks about relationships, masculine and feminine energies, um, and, you know, any of the books around that area is mm. going to give you a better understanding of who you are, a better understanding of potentially who you would like to bring into your life as well. Um, and in by doing that, if you're a mature masculine man at any age <clears throat> that um, is comfortable enough to buy and consume uh, a book on love languages, then you are going to be mm. inherently attracting um, the right mm. person for you. Mm. Which is, I think, a lot of people, a lot of blokes go, "No, oh, it's weak. It's this. Like it's that. that. <laughs> it's like it's like it's not about like you can still. That's why, like, when you see, you know, if anyone ever says like it's you know, men should be weaker. There should be this. It's like no, no, no. Men should be. It's okay to be a bit vulnerable. You should still want to be strong. You should still want to be all of those things. But being vulnerable and and stepping into some of these things as well is okay. Like it's not, you know, old school man, like, no, I'm not doing that. It's fucking, that's not tough enough. Like, um, you know, I just want to punch everyone. It's like, yeah, don't be like that. You know? And not, not everyone can be the alpha. Not everyone wants to be a beta. Not everyone wants to be a leader. Mm. Not everybody wants to be a part of a team. Everybody's different. Mm. So do a lot of work on yourself. Um, there's heaps of people out there that can either educate you in that or provide you with uh, the short form content to tell you what type of long form content you need to consume in order mm. to understand more about yourself, to find out where you sit on every one of those different spectrums mm. um, and yeah, attract the person that is right for you. How do you deal with tall poppy syndrome in a place like Adelaide? Is it real? It's internal Personally. as well. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, I I dislike it. There's an extreme example where you go to the Gold Coast where tall poppy um, is almost flipped on its head where the tallest poppy, um, where the shortest poppy gets shot down mm. um, or cut down. So like if you're not doing these <coughs> business, if you're not going for it, da 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 If you're you, not flashy, you you're no like, one. Yeah. Um, coming back to Adelaide, uh, it's – it's a fine line. Um, there are people who are always going to criticize you at any level of anything you're doing. Um, fundamentally, it's important to remember that criticism only comes from people below you, not people above you. So if you are criticized by somebody, um, it gives you the opportunity to just think about uh, a potential social hierarchy in which you now sit above them. So take it as a compliment. Mm. Um, usually it's just a reflection of their own insecurity anyway. So it's like a, from uh, a place of jealousy almost of it's like if someone perceives 
if you if you can genuinely be like, no, I'm not an arrogant prick, then maybe the person calling you an arrogant prick is just jealous that you have a level of confidence that they don't have. Exactly. And if you've proved to yourself through your work deliverables or whichever way you measure your success that you are who you say you are, um, and this is not like a, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a sliding scale of progression throughout maturity and also achievement um, in whichever way you measure that. It becomes a lot easier to shrug off the criticism um, and not let it get to you. Um, but also, if you're going to, let's just jump to the uh, other side. If you're going to put yourself out there, um, uh, telling the world per se, or uh, showing the world that you are somebody that you are not, and you receive the criticism for it, and it really hurts, it is no doubt because there is a um, discrepancy between who the profile is that you've built versus who you actually are and is there an equal amount of level and effort that has been put in to achieve those in an equilibrium or is one uh, are you pretending to be somebody that you're not and you're getting the criticism and it is burning you alive mm. so which is an opportunity to do something about it exactly if you if you're if you're butt hurt by a comment it might be true pull back from that side Learn increase your work and output and deliveries in whichever way you measure that mm. um put yourself out there again because then you'll have the backing behind it perfect i might might wrap things up there that's been a really uh, amazing podcast um so for anyone that wants to work with sam uh, all his information will be in the description below for alpha tradie um so if you're a tradie looking to scale your business it's the place to be thank excellent you. thank you sam cheers